and welcome to episode 69 of Real Life Ghost Stories. Insert uh, sexual jokes now. How you do? We would like to thank our newest Patreon subscribers to kick off this week's episode. And we would like to thank John Taylor. SJ Mallinson. Orla McKay. Hayley Doland. Jamie. Ashes McDowell. Charlie Tipple. Bridget Curtin. Frankie Garamendi. Maris Sandoval. Michelle Buck. Carl Schilling. Michael Bry, Poppy Wormsley, Amber, Cats and Coffee 91, Brackets, Kath, Dear Trippets, Heather G, CM, Punk, hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> and Abby Waller. I feel like, you know, in um, what's that film, Anchorman, where it's like, if you put anything on that monitor, he will read it. Yep. I should start testing you and yeah. just put, write anything down and see if you'll read out loud. <laughs> um, thank you for being our newest Patreon subscribers. We appreciate you so much. So thank you. Thank you. Our film review this week. Our film review is Shutter Island. Shutter Island was released in 2010. It has 8.1 out of 10 on IMDb and 68% on Rotten Tomatoes. Scandalous. Would you like a synopsis? Yes, please. Teddy Daniels and Chuck All, two US Marshals, are sent to an asylum on a remote island in order to investigate the disappearance of a patient, where Teddy uncovers a shocking truth about the place. What were your thoughts on this film? This film is blooming marvellous. Oh, it's just stunning. I think I think this might that's be our, that's all I'm saying. This might be the <laughs> shortest film review we ever do because there's I don't want to give anything away and it's really hard to talk about this film without giving stuff away. Leonardo DiCaprio plays Teddy Daniels and he is out of this world. He is really good, but he's a good actor. He's a brilliant actor anyway, but he's... This film is... It's not really a... It's more of a psychological thriller, I think, but it is quite... There's scary elements to it. Yeah, there's loads of jump scares. I jumped loads when we were watching it and I've seen it before. (laughs) And Shutter Island is like the quintessential asylum that you would think of somebody said the word asylum to you that is what you would think of yeah big sprawling full of dangerous people and it's not just it's a it's a prison for the criminally insane like arkham asylum like arkham asylum so it's like you know for people who are really dangerous like the joker Um, like the joker we watched joker during the week so hence the joker references it's a really brilliant film and it's clever also a brilliant book. Yes, I read the book years ago. Is it, it's Dennis Lane, isn't it? Same guy that wrote Mr. River. I don't know. I can't which remember. Is also a good book. I read the book after I'd watched the film. Huh. Because I went to see the film in the cinema and I remember being completely blown away by it. And then I read the book because I wanted to see how the book and film compared. I'm a big believer in, in, in books always being better. I think seeing the first Harry Potter film was probably the most disappointing moment in my life. <laughs> but that's okay. I've let it go. I have Netflix. I read the book and the uh, it's one of the best fiction to film adaptations that I've ever seen. The film is sensational. And the book is sensational. Yeah. And both are sensational. They are. Sens- <laughs> sensational is a good word. Sensational is a good word. Um but I would uh, uh, like I don't want to say too much, but it's it, it, what I can say is that they get to the island where Shutter Island this big insane asylum is. They're trying to move away from the old school therapies like lobotomies, water therapy, and they're trying to go for um, medicating the patients and talking therapies and treating them like human beings, or so they say. And Teddy Daniels suspects there is a secret 
patient on the island and they're trying to find this secret patient and it is stunning it just messes with your head a little bit the first time you see it a little bit massively <laughs> i the first time i saw it in the cinema and i was like fucking audibly gasping <laughs> at the end i was like oh my god <laughs> Absol- i can't believe this is happening it's if you haven't seen it 100% go and watch it i'm just going to go all out on a limb here and give it five stars i'm going to join you I didn't want to give it five stars, but I can't give a reason not to. I can't think of a reason not to. No, it's just, so, it's great. And it's to go with it, I'm afraid. If it can keep my attention, and it was the second or third <laughs> time I've seen it, then, yeah. I mean, that that's saying something. I that's, think that in itself should, it should get like a, posthumous is not the right word, but like a posthumous. <laughs> posthumous, <laughs> you mean? Posthumous, yeah. Um, <laughs> posthumous. After hummus, or Oscar, that's what we'll get. Yeah. I think it should get, um, an Oscar for being a film that could hold my attention. On that repeat should be, viewings as that well. That should be a category yeah. in the Oscars. Yeah, that actually like, should be. And the nominees for a film that could hold Emma's attention the whole way through I mean, are... it would be really good to, for the For Your Consideration lot because it's like if we were watching them, you'd, it'd be like, we wouldn't have to sit through all the films because as soon as I lost you, I could turn it off and put a new one on. That's odd. That is such a good point. You'd be like, next. <laughs> this one doesn't get it. Even though I'd want to watch them all. So you, would, would be you could do it in your own yeah. time. Not on my time. Not my watch. Yeah, five, so that is five, five, five stars from both five. of us for Shutter Island. Just I know I, I know we said very little about it, and as a review, this is probably the worst review we've ever done. But just just go and watch it. It's a stunning, stunning film, and it's visually it's very uh, what's the word atmospheric. Yeah, and the soundscape is very atmospheric as well. Would recommend when it goes towards sea, particularly. There's a lot yes. of jump scares there. Yes, yes, yes. So our story this week. What do you know about Penhurst State School? Very little, other than what I've seen on the odd ghost investigation program. That's it, really. So our story this week is going to be all about Penhurst State School. My research this week comes from weirdnj.com and a book called Ghosts of the Mayflower, a Penhurst haunting by Tamara Lawrence. Okay, so. Cool. I just if you I'll leave the link in the description if you want to go and read it. I'm going to preface this by saying that I have no interest in talking about the atrocities that were committed in Penhurst State School. I do, I don't think it's necessary. I think if you want to know about what happened there, I would recommend watching the documentary Suffer Suffer the Little Children. I I'll talk about it in the story anyway. Um but I think it's also really important that while Penhurst, like it was described by people as being hell on earth, pretty much all mental institutions at the time yeah. were awful. And if you've got thousands of people in the same place who are vulnerable, bad people are going to take advantage of that. That's just something that has to be recognised. So I'm not going to go into great detail about the horrible things that were done to these people, but I am going to tell you some ghost stories. Okay. Are you ready? Always not. Penhurst first opened its doors in November of 1908 and due to pressure to accept not only people with intellectual and physical disabilities but also immigrants, criminals and orphans who could not be housed elsewhere it was overcrowded within only a few years. In 1913 the Commission for the Care of the Feeble-Minded was appointed and boldly stated that those with disabilities were unfit for citizenship and furthermore posed a menace to the peace. Patients at Penhurst were grouped into several general categories. 
Under the classification of mental prowess, one was listed as either an imbecile or insane. Physically, the patient could either be declared epileptic or healthy. Like many similar facilities of the era, Penhurst functioned almost completely independently from the rest of society. It operated its own power plant, policed its own grounds and produced its own food. Any additional needs were supplied by a railway line that connected the campus to the outside world. The facility could operate without any interaction with the surrounding community. And really, that was the way a lot of the community preferred it. By the mid-1960s, Penhurst had been open for 50 years. It housed 2,791 people, most of them children, which was at least 900 more than the administration thought the buildings could comfortably accommodate. But as a state school, they had to take what they were given. Only 200 of those residents were in any kind of art, education or recreation programmes that would help to improve their condition, though many of the patients were high-functioning enough to improve with the right care. The administrators recognised that they were falling short of their ideal treatment, but with a crumbling building, a budget shortfall of $4 million and only 9 medical doctors and 11 teachers, none of them with special education training, their hands were tied. In the mid-1960s, fledgling TV reporter Bill Baldini ran a five-episode expose of Penhurst State School and Hospital on Philadelphia's TV10. It painted a picture of neglect and abuse in the Chester County Institution that was hard for regular viewers to stomach. The five-minute news segments were entitled Suffer the Little Children. When one patient was asked by the interviewer what he would like most in the world, if he could have anything he wanted, the sad and withdrawn reply was simply, to get out of Penhurst. From that point on, it was inevitable that the hospital would close down, but it took two further decades of legal actions, federal judgments made and overturned, and growing financial crisis for the place to be shuttered. By the 1980s, overcrowding, lack of funds, inadequate staffing and decades of abuse and neglect accusations caught up with the operation and in 1987, Penhurst closed its doors. Its death was not without positive impact though. The martyrdom of its long-suffering patients helped put into motion changes to medical practice across the country and to society as a whole. Penhurst State School now operates as a haunted attraction. In 2011, Tamara Lawrence spent an autumn season working in Penhurst, and these are her experiences. Night one. It started with a desperate cry, a tiny, whispering, whimpering cry. Mommy? No. Tamara checked the hallways and stairways and was met with nothing but darkness. She wondered if perhaps one of her co-workers was playing a prank, a hazing of the new girl. But the tiny desperate cry seemed so real. Tamara was posing as an orderly in the Mayflower building, reportedly the most haunted of the entirety of Penhurst. Her job was to stop people from venturing up the stairs to the third floor. The third floor was dank and dilapidated, with crumbling ceilings and peeling walls. The floor was littered with mattresses and pillows, stained black from the excessive damp. 
At the end of the night, another orderly, James, shuddered and swore that something had just tapped him on the shoulder. Night two. Howie, come out to play! James cried out from the darkness. Come on, Howie, come out to play! They were setting up the attraction pre-guests and James was obsessed with finding Howie. Howie haunts the Mayflower. He is said to be a lost child and he owns all the toys in the building. If you are in the Mayflower long enough, you may find a ball roll and knock against your feet. Howie's invitation to come and play. However, if you take Howie's toys, he'll come and get you. Tamara took her place at the bottom of the stairs, guiding everyone who passed through. Guests would stop and they would shake their heads and say, I don't know how you work here. But the question they would ask most often would be, have you seen anything? Tamara would tell them all about Howie, warning the guests not to make him mad. She would tell them about the little girl crying for her mom and she would tell them about the hair pulling. You see, something in the Mayflower building was obsessed with girls with long hair. It would stroke and tug on long hair and the guests would pull their hoods up or tuck their hair into their collars. More often than not, people thought she was joking. A ruse to heighten the experience. But she wasn't. James approached again, his face full of glee. Hey, hey, guess what? I got tapped on the shoulder again. Twice this time. I just love it. Tamara was concerned. Something didn't seem right. She scolded James and told him to stop taunting Howie. And James skipped off down the corridor singing, Howie, come out to play. It was customary for the orderlies to check on each other throughout the night. It could be disconcerting being alone in the darkness all all night. That night, Tamara went to check on Laurie. They were both mothers in their 40s who just wanted to make a few extra dollars, so they had a natural affinity for each other. Laurie seized her arm when she saw her. Tamara, there's something in the bathroom. Please, please, honestly, there's something in the bathroom. I kept seeing a a shadow peer out from behind the stall in the bathroom. I swear I've seen it four or five times now. Eventually, they reasoned it out by the fact that they were working in such a daunting environment and giggled about not going to the bathroom alone. It's amazing how a joke with a friend can calm down even the most spine-tingling of situations. Tamara went back to her post and slipped back into her routine. She would peer around the stairwell waiting to hear the telltale shrieks and giggles of another group. When she would hear the group, she would whip back around the corner and take her post at the bottom of the stairs. This time, she jumped back and stumbled into somebody. Somebody who could only have come from the third floor. She felt a large, sturdy body as she fell against it. Fear gripped her. She turned her flashlight to confront whoever it was that had scared her. Her flashlight pierced through the darkness. Nothing. Night three. It wasn't unusual for the orderlies to share experiences. Thus far, James had claimed to have seen shadows running from room to room, a face peering in the second floor window, and being tapped on the shoulder twice. James's desperation to have an experience didn't make him the most credible witness, and Tamara took his claims with a pinch of salt. Today, though, 
James was not his usual self. He was quiet and subdued. It was this night that the noises started on the third floor. Furniture being dragged. Things banging and crashing. And little footsteps running up and down the corridors. The guests likely thought it was part of the experience. It wasn't. Night four. James had been talking about venturing up to the third floor, but he was afraid to do it on his own. He finally got another employee to venture up there with him. Tamara listened closely for sounds of their movement on the third floor, but there was no sound. Eventually they returned, and James's face was different. For the first time he looked frightened. Properly frightened. How did it go? Did you see anything? Tamara asked. Something stabbed me, he stammered. It felt like something stabbed me, but... With a needle. Night five. It was a skeleton staff that night. Tamara and Laurie were heading up their floor, trying to entertain the waves of people that were bounding up the stairs. The same questions rolled in from the groups. Have you seen anything? Is it really haunted? It was all as normal as it can be working in a haunted asylum, when a group of women arrived, desperate to see something. They made their way towards the bathroom, where Laurie had seen the shadow. Their screams reverberated around the hallways, and they ran pale-faced and terrified to Tamara. There's a man, they cried. There's a man in there, and we thought he was a worker, but he's not. They refused to continue on the tour, and eventually, Tamara sighed and agreed to check it out. She walked, flashlight in hand, with the group of women huddled behind her. She checked the bathroom. Nothing. She rounded the corner into the common room. And there it was. The tall, black shadow of a man standing against the wall. The shadow was not just black. It was blacker than black. Standing almost as if it was waiting for her. It moved across the wall and melted into the corner. Tamara reassured the women, moved them on by assuring them that shadows were common in the building and they would not be harmed. Tamara was, at this point, questioning whether her job was really worth it. The night continued with the groups becoming smaller and smaller. Hardcore paranormal enthusiasts turn up in twos to explore the most haunted building in America. Tamara continued her shift, almost forgetting the incident earlier. Almost. Two men arrived. They were well versed in the paranormal and stopped to chat to Tamara before moving on to explore the rooms. They exited the first room almost as quick as they entered, one of the men looking pale and the other shaking his head in disbelief. The man who had turned pale was rubbing his neck. Tamara asked him if he was okay. I swear, some, something was just jabbed into my neck and it, it felt like a needle. Night 6 Friday night was crazy. They were operating on a skeleton staff again. The staff just kept leaving. Tamara was alone on the second floor and feeling pretty unnerved. Luckily it was busy. She watched a woman excitedly show people in her group a photo on her phone. People capturing entities on their phone was a regular thing. Misty figures, shadows and lurking faces. But this... 
This was different. Tamir peered at the woman's phone and felt her blood turn cold. The picture was of a man. His face was gaunt and ghoulish, but it was his eyes that made Tamara's stomach turn. There were none. His eyes were dark hollows. Soon the group moved on, and Tamara was alone on the second floor once more. Night 7 The crowd were mostly families tonight. Kids huddled together, clinging to the arms of their parents. Tamara was pacing, trying to take the pressure off her feet. She tripped over someone, who had sat themselves on the floor. Tamara apologised effusively, and turned her flashlight to help the guest up. There was no one there. Over the course of the season, there were numerous photos of entities and reports of hair pulling and unwanted injections. Penhurst State School continues to operate as a haunted attraction to this day. I want to see that photo. Have you got it? If you Google Penhurst State School photos, there are loads of them. Because it's a haunted attraction, people go all of the time. So what are your thoughts? Is there a crazy doctor ghost? Is that why they're all getting jabbed in the neck with needles? Apparently, it's a really angry nurse ghost. Oh, okay. And she has apparently been seen throughout the building. So there's the most famous ones are the ghost of a little girl. Yep, fuck off with that one. Um, there's the nurse ghost. Mm. There's a little boy, Howie. Nope, don't want that either. And then there's Fisher, who is a big black shadow oh, he was, man. That was the one that you saw in the that she saw in the uh, in the lounge. Yes. Yeah. Big shadow man. He's alright though, isn't he? Apparently so. Yeah. He's just big and scary. So, what are your thoughts? Well, it's obviously haunted, isn't it? I really think and. I think if there was ever going to be any buildings in the world that were haunted, Asylums it would be those big old... Now, I don't even know if hospitals are. There's something about the big old asylums where so many bad things happen to people and people were treated in such an undignified way that there has... If ever anywhere was going to be haunted, it would be there. Yeah. For once, I would actually... You know, I would, I would say that it, it is likely that something happens in Penhurst, whatever yeah. it is. I don't like the sound of the third floor. I don't know why people were trying to go up there. Oh, yeah, no. But then, it's that's, like... that's the thing, isn't it? You'd be like, well, that'd be me. I'd be like, yeah, I'll go up there. Don't even worry about it. I'd get up there, shit myself. No, I wouldn't go up there because it's all damp. I hate this one of damp. That's true, you do. I'd be like, no, I'm all right. And I'd be like, if you go up there, you're guaranteed to get a picture of a ghost. I'd be like, no, it smells of damp. Can you just bring the guys downstairs, please? Thanks. Imagine if that was you. You were going to get definitive proof paranormal. That was you were going to find out. And the thing that stands in your way is the smell of damp. But you know me and it would be. <laughs> it sounds like a funny story to people that don't know me, but that actually would be something that stopped me from going upstairs. It would be something. And I can see it. I can see it happening where they'll go, the only person this ghost will appear to is Dan. And it is the only way he can get definitive proof. And I'll be like, I'll just go. I'll... No, you can't go. Dan has to go. He won't fucking go. It smells like damp. <laughs> I don't like the smell of damp. Black mold is horrible. I mean, it is. It's not very healthy either. Mm. What are your thoughts? Because I have really strong thoughts about this. But what are your thoughts on Penhurst State School being a haunted attraction? I don't know. I don't know. I can't like... To me, I don't really understand what that is. It's just like... They've just basically... You go on a ghost tour, but there's staff there. 
They do like, I think, from what I looked at the website. Or is it like a horror maze? Like it's like a wouldn't... horror maze. I think some bits of it, they do like a ghost tour, which I can kind of get on board with, but I actually think they have, and judging by reading this woman's book, it sounds like they have like people dressed up as patients, people yeah, dressed up as... Yeah, I'm not feeling as... that too much. Like, I'd make, like, if you're going to have people there doing security, like, tomorrow, dressing them up as orderlies isn't a bad thing, I don't think. No, I don't think that's, it's I just don't like think a that's uni- disrespectful. Like a, no, it's just like a uniform, isn't it? But I, I think having live actors there is a bit, dis- it's a bit wrong, really. But I, maybe that just stirs crap up. But I think it's, because uh, apparently <laughs> they are trying to turn Penhurst into a museum. Okay. And... That's why they're doing the haunted attraction to get the money to be able to do that. Well, definitely I don't know how true that is, but like there's some nights apparently where thousands of people, especially over Halloween, go to Penhurst. And uh, if they wanted to turn it into a haunted museum, or not a haunted museum, or a, <laughs> a historical museum, I mean, where where they explore the treatment of mental health and like Alcatraz, but for like Alcatraz, but for you know, a mental health facility, then I'm all for it. I don't know how I feel about it being a haunted attraction where they have people dressed up as scary patients and like these were real people. Yeah. And people kind of forget that because they they I'm, think, oh, it must be I'm also not entirely convinced by mass ghost tours either. No, like and, ghost and, tours and with this, loads of people. In this woman's book she was she was saying that regularly they'd have people being like, I want my money back, I didn't see any ghosts. Yeah. And they'd be like, it doesn't really work like that. Yeah, or I they'd did have people like, show up really drunk. I um, did one in Portland, which I've spoken about before, where they went down the sh- when we went down the Shanghai tunnels, and there was like thirty people on the tour, and it just really took away from it. Like I felt like it would have worked really well with like five or like five to ten people, but like having thirty people down these dark tunnels just made them not dark and not scary. Yeah, because there's just loads of people babbling, like they had hen parties and stuff on it, and it's just like. Nothing's going to happen, don't you? And if it does, it's going to be a coincidence. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're going to shove 30 people into a relatively small space, noises and stuff are going to happen yeah. inevitably. Um, I would... This Penhurst is somewhere I would love to go. On your not, own. <laughs> but not as a... As part of like Halloween weekend, a scary maze. I would love to just go and visit and have the owners... With the owners and say, can I have a walk around and have a look at everything? It is just one of those, I mean, it's such a landmark in changing the public's perspective of what happened in those kinds of places, which is pretty amazing. Oh, I mean, horrific. Are we talking daylight or nighttime? I'd go either. I don't really care. I'll come with you if we go in the daytime. Babe, when I worked in an asylum and I saw my ghost, it was at 10 o'clock in the morning. Okay, I'm I not don't think ghosts are bothered about the time of day. I don't want to go anywhere where there's a little, definitely like confirmed little girl ghost. Well, there are questions as to whether or not it's actually a little girl. Well, it's a demon. Yeah, yeah I definitely don't want to go then. Yeah. I'm going to end up going now, aren't I, at some yeah. point? Yeah. I've already booked it. No. We're ready to go. <laughs> if, if you are listening and you've been to Penhurst, can you please write me in? Because I want to know. I want to know what it's like in real life. I rewatched the um, Ghost Adventures episode, by the way, as uh, preparation, as research for this. I can't even remember what happens when they go there, but that Not was the much. one I was thinking of. No. Not much, I have to say. I think they saw, they saw that big ghost, didn't they? I think. I think they did. I think they got a picture of him. Yeah, I think that's where they. Potentially, yeah. I can't really remember what happened. He's in like a door, like a 
far down the corridor in the doorway, isn't he? I think. I yeah, think it's that one. I'm also going to do an episode on Waverly Hills okay. Sanatorium. Okay. And I will try and look up some other local asylums. I think what's um, good, for want of a better word, about this place is that that documentary that comes with it. Well, it doesn't come with it, but like. Yes, yeah, so for the it, little children. I watched that as well so during the week. Horrendous. I think if you watched it before you went in. I think just the vibe, you're, you just carry an extra vibe with you anyway, I think. Yeah, I think so. And it's, so I didn't feel like it was necessary to go through all the gory details and the ins and outs of of what the, what happened at the hands of the workers in this place and at, and the patients at the hands of each other. But if you do want to watch Suffer Little Children, I'm going to give you a warning that they, like, it's, it's very 1960s in the language that it uses and the way it speaks about people. But there's there's a um a, a an English equivalent called a, a documentary called The Silent Minority, which is equally as horrific. Oh yeah, it went on all over. It's just yeah, it, it's all not over a the symptom, world. It's not a national. It's not a national identity symptom. It's a era symptom, isn't it? It's yeah. a symptom of the era and and on. It's a symptom of era and not, fear. And yeah. not understanding and, and ignorance. Not advance, no advances in the understanding either. No. Like, not significant advances. I think we kind of understand that stuff a little bit more these days. And we've also got a better idea of what dignity means. Yes. Which, you know, was severely lacking. But it's just, it's it's a fascinating story. Uh, again, we another really serious episode. What are well, we doing? Well, I mean, I'm not. I'm not down with the little girl guys. We're not doing anything with that. Like that's. What? You, what? Do you think? I'm not doing anything with that. What do you think I'm going to do? I don't know. Tell me the story about her. God, I don't want to know. No, they don't kids. know. Okay. They don't know what the story. The girl who the girl who wrote the book hmm. that I read believes that the ghost is of a little girl called Mary, and they regularly have like um, psychics and clairvoyants and stuff that come through, and they're like, "Oh, I can feel this, that, and the other." Um, Howie is like a is like the seasoned long-term resident that everyone knows about. But I feel like the, when you were reading the James talking, calling Howie out, it was the creepiest thing you've ever read on the show, I think. Your Howie come out to play tone of voice was horrible. Oh, <laughs> it wasn't intended to be. It was really creepy. When you listen back to that, when you're editing, you're going to be like, oh my word. I put effort into that too. Yeah. Would you like some new reviews? Yes, please. Our first review comes from Mr. B. Stroud. And Mr. B. Stroud says, a universally good time. I found out about this podcast at an open mic night in Canterbury and thought I'd give it a go. From the first episode, I was hooked. I'm very much like Will in being a psychology teacher and a skeptic, but I have to admit, I have had some chills listening to some of these stories. I'm saving some of the scariest stories to tell my students in form time when they annoy me. (laughs) Keep up the good work, Ben. Thank you, Ben. We love you, Ben. Ben has one of the most beautiful singing voices I've ever heard. Uh, Yes, I will testify to that too. I meant to say second that, but I'm going to testify. So yes. Testify. (laughs) We were at an open mic night and Will, who was on episode, whatever episode, the underground episode, was doing magic at the open. And 50 Movie Club was doing magic at the open mic night. And he was very, very good. And then this, this, this Ben uh, did some Frank Sinatra songs, and his oh voice. Oh my word! So oh. good, so good, so so good. I don't know why I'm telling you guys this. Like, like we're promoting him, but just, just for a bit of context. It was just completely out of the blue as well, because like he's quite unassuming as a gentleman. Yes. And then he just started singing, and everybody was transfixed instantly. It's yeah, very good. He's very good. And the next one comes from 
Harania, and it says best scary story podcast amazing podcast the hosts are funny relatable and have a perfect dynamic between them if you're looking to be spooked but not too spooked their balance of skepticism and belief in the paranormal is refreshing i love it and finally american chris says love it this podcast is great i love the topics dan and emma are great to listen to in the beginning i was not liking the reviews but i've come around to them keep up the good work i look forward to each episode oh do you know what that I, I got a message or maybe it was a review I don't remember where somebody was like like most people I skip the film reviews <laughs> and I was like oh. yeah <laughs> maybe people hate the film reviews but I'm okay with it we're still gonna do it yeah it's fine yeah I think there is I think there's equal amount of people that enjoy it as well at least it's only at the beginning you yeah. know it's gonna end yeah <laughs> well sometimes they don't do they <laughs> And if you enjoyed this week's episode, you can find us on Instagram. I'm on Instagram at Real Life Ghost Stories. That's it. I don't think podcasts at the end of it. I think I'm on Instagram at Real Life Ghost Stories. You are. Dan is on Instagram. At 50p Movie Club. We are on Twitter. At Real Ghost Pod. We are on Facebook, Real Life Ghost Stories Podcast. Give us a like and also join our supergroup, which is RLGS Supergroup. The password is... Emma and Dan and Tiny Bim, if you feel like it. You can email us in your stories to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon. Patreon is a platform where you can pay $5 a month or $2 a month to get tons and tons and tons of extra bonus episodes. I think we have around 47 extra weekly episodes and about, I don't know how many episodes of 50p Movie Club but quite a few. That is patreon.com forward slash real life ghost stories. Would you like to explain what 50p Movie Club is? It is a podcast that I used to do with Will and I now do with Dave Keane. And we look at, we watch, we don't look at, we we watch movies from the 50p section in CX and then we review them. And they're normally quite bad. Sometimes they're good bad. That's the show. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, we shall see you next week. Bye.